All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. This is a Web Canopy Studio production. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Dropping the Gloves with John Scott and Tim Wearsberger. How's it going, Tim? Doing pretty good. How about you, buddy? Can't complain. Very excited. We, we are finally done with this series. We've been working on this for months and months now, and it just seems like it's never going to come to completion. But this is it. This is episode one of a five-part little series we've been working on about the 2010 Chicago Blackhawks. So very excited. We um, reached out to a lot of my old friends to help us with this project. And I, I, I think it's going to be really great. We've talked to Kaner and Brian Campbell and Dave Bolin and Brian Bickle and Q. That was a great one. And Jesse Rogers, one of the reporters who worked for the team who followed them around everywhere throughout this whole cup run. So when we were thinking about a fun little mini series to do, this one was, was kind of a no brainer just because I played for the Hawks. They're such an influential team. It was just such a great dynasty and they're still relevant today, whereas they could still sneak in another cup to be a part of that dynasty that they've already established. So when we were looking at the three cups, we were like, well, which team was the best? And arguably 2010, I think, stands out as the best team they had out of those three cups. So we said, let's do it. And here we are. So the first series we're going to touch on is the Predator series. Coming into this playoffs, the Hawks were arguably the favorites to win the cup. The year before, they went to the Western Conference Finals, and they, they played Detroit hard, but Detroit had a very veteran team. They had Pavel Datsuk, Zetterberg, Lidstrom, all of those guys who were Hall of Fame worthy. If not, some guys are already in there. So I think going into this series with the Predators, they had to be hands-down favorites. And when you look back at the whole playoff run, I think this series – Maybe the series against Philadelphia gave them the biggest hiccup. Wouldn't you say, Tim? 
Yeah, I mean, because they're coming into the series, like you said, they're favorites. This team just won 52 games in the regular season. They had some um, some playoff heartbreak the year before, but Kane and Taze and, and Keith and all those guys are kind of coming into their own. They're confident. They're, they're kind of swaggy. Um, and then they come into the first game and, and they lose. and It doesn't go too well. They get spanked 4-1 to one in game one. Yeah, not expecting that at all, especially at home ice, first series, you want to set the tone. You have this brand, well, not a brand new team, but you brought in some pretty, pretty big names to get you over that hump. You have a Marion Host, you have a John Madden. You bring in those two veteran guys to kind of right the ship, and you come out the first game and you lay an egg. And the big thing coming into this first series and this playoffs in general was how will the goaltending shake out? It wasn't their strong suit years prior. They have Antti Niemi. He's unproven at this point. So how is he going to shake out? And he comes in the first game and lays an absolute egg, gives up four. You're leaving that first game like, what is going on? And then to follow that up in game two with not a very good performance in game two, like they, there is some questions going on in that locker room after those first two games, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, they barely got by him in game two, two nothing win. Obviously, that's that's a big that's a big goose egg for uh, for um, the goalie to 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 stop the other team from scoring. But again, you're it's not what they expected coming into the series, being split at home and just kind of barely winning game two. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about how the guys kind of had to reset a little bit and kind of keep their their confidence in check because they realized this is not going to be an easy series for them to pull off. Yeah, one of the bigger contributors, especially in this series, when they started to get down, they had to reach into their depth. And they called up a guy. Bix didn't play the first few games. And when they inserted him into the lineup, he was an immediate impact. The guy's a big body player. Nashville had a bigger defense. They had Shea Weber, Roman Yossi. Those guys log huge amounts of minutes. And they're big bodies. So they pull Bickle into the lineup. And he immediately asserts himself on the forecheck where he goes in, you throw the puck in the D-man corner, and he's like a heat-seeking missile, especially for him. It's his first playoff experience. All he wants to do is bury guys. And I think when you're on the road and you're kind of nervous a little bit, you don't want to lose a game, you really want to establish yourself, that's what you need, and that's what he brought to this table. So let's get to our interview with Brian Bickle. Now Bickle does some pushing with David Backus. Boy, Backus throws a first right right there. Bickle's a big boy as well. And Backus landed one right. His helmet is gone. Now Bickle trying to get the left loose. Bickle a third round pick at 04, a rookie. Now he muscles Backus down. Okay, so Bix, where did, you, where did you grow up? Where did you begin your career, your hockey career? Little town called Orno, Ontario. Where's that in relation to Toronto? It's uh hour east of Toronto. All right. And how'd you how did you get into hockey? Was it just like a typical Canadian thing? You started you put your skates on before you put your shoes on. How did you first start to get into hockey when you were a kid? Yeah, just that's it. Canadian guy that wanted to play hockey. My dad was a hockey fan, big big Leafs fan. Um I don't know, played hockey. It was that's the thing they did. I played baseball in the summer and then I played hockey in the winter. And I just so happened to be actually half decent at it. So made some. And you got dra- you got drafted by the Yankees, right? I didn't get drafted, no, I got scouted. I uh I had a choice in my my playing days of baseball. I had to stop playing baseball when I was about sixteen because I had to I choose hockey was- over baseball. 
is that a big regret knowing that you, you made the wrong choice? <laughs> I think that I always wondered, like sometimes I'm like, I think about it. I'm like, well, what if I actually did train for baseball and like focused on baseball and, you know, be like the Larry Walker of, of my time. But I'm like, you know, hockey would turned out pretty good. And, um, you know, winning a couple championships, have me and the wife and the kids and, and stuff like that. So, but I always still wonder what would it really could be. Yeah. Were you, what was your position? I was a center fielder. Uh, I like to okay. be in the middle, run the fielders, tell you come this way, go this way, memory, big power guy, hit the long ball, chick stick the long ball. A center fielder with power, that is a, a combination you don't usually see in the major league. So you could have made an impact right away. Not many center fielders who can, you know, hit dingers all day long. That'd be a nice well, little package. Yeah, I had it, but uh, hockey. Anyway, so yeah, back to hockey. What type of player were you then? You so you were a center fielder who hit the long ball when you were sixteen. Yeah. What type of player were you at sixteen? I was a grinder, a physical guy that liked to shoot the pucks. You know, I was I had a heavy shot, heavy snapper. We call it. I, I think uh, the amount of time I took uh, practicing my wrist shot in my my backyard. Uh, worked in my wrist shot that was a big thing i was a big wendell clark fan back in the day when his leaves looked up to him great wrist shot so i wanted to be like him and work on my shot every day my strengths were my size my physicality which now physical you don't really need anymore um big guy that can you know so happen you know put the puck in the back net once in a while yeah, you had some decent points. You played for I, – I would call them the hometown, Ottawa 67s, pretty close to Orno, you know? Yes, three hours. <laughs> three hours away. So you had some decent points. You weren't just a grinder. You put up 50 points, 54 points. Like, you weren't exactly a grinder. When you got drafted by the Hawks, what kind of player did they think they were getting out of Brian Bickle? What kind of player? Basically – I don't know, just a, a checker that can, you know, finish checks, I know, and, you know, score. I think that's uh, a power forward. Um, if you look at the players now that are in the league, like a Luchage and like a Wilson, uh, like those kind of players, um, that's what I kind of, you know, wrap my head around. Come, come playoffs, that was my big, my big time was to be physical and just keep, you know, keep the guys on the toes because you no one likes to get crushed by you know someone big and touching their shoulders to each other and expect to make that defensive uh ddd pass the next time so that was my my job is to, to grind down defensemen and open space up for my uh you know my wingers and my centermen you're six foot four 223 pounds you're coming out of juniors you went right to the north well not anymore now what are you two two ten now 215? Yeah, I wish. You look slim. You look slim, my man. You could still play out there. 250. So you're coming out of you're coming out of juniors. 0506, you were with the Windsor Windsor Spitfires. You jump right into the Norfolk Admirals and you get your first call up pretty quickly. What's like that? You you must have been what, a 23-year-old kid, 22-year-old kid? Uh I was uh 20. 20-year-old kid, what's that like jumping right into the NHL 
after watching these guys your whole life and then suiting up three games in the NHL your first year? Well, it was it was kind of I got I got lucky in a way. Um, Norfolk had a really good team. I wasn't playing a lot. I only played half the games. Um, and playoffs was coming around the corner. I played the last three games of the regular season against the Hawks. The Hawks were shit when I got drafted. Um, and then they're like, well, you know, we'll give Bickle a call up and see what he can do. So then I scored two to three goals. And then they're like, holy shit, like he's actually done pretty good. And then I wasn't playing the minor leagues. And then I get back sent down because the Hawks didn't make the playoffs. And then I started to play again, which is kind of happened to be. And I like to say I scored in my first shot, in my first game. Um, but then, you know, scoring against Turco in my second my second goal, um, two games later, was pretty funny too. He yeah, says he remembers it too, which I don't. I don't think he does. A future teammate. So we fast forward. You played a couple games the next year, two thousand, two thousand seven, eight. Then, like we said earlier, before we started uh, recording, you got injured the next year, so that was kind of a wash here. Then we fast forward to two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Going into that camp. What were your aspirations? Did you want to be in Chicago? Obviously, did you have any hope of making that team, or were you just resigned because you didn't play the year before to maybe starting off with the uh, the Rockford Icehawks? Um, I don't. It was a, there was only a couple spots open. There was maybe one or two. They had a pretty well stapled team going into the season. Um, you know, then there was maybe one spot open. I mean, there's a lot of guys that. Easily could have made any other team, but um, we couldn't because, you know, we're under our intra-level contracts and ship us down to the minor leagues and um, grind it down there. Obviously, after 2010, they won. We won, but then a lot of pieces had to be moved because of the cap error and uh, a lot of good players and a lot of people were going to get paid. And, you know, it uh, opened a lot of spots open, and that's my uh, – opportunity to to jump in when you went into camp did you notice a different feeling with that team they had hosa they they brought in a few guys john madden was there could you tell that they were gearing up for the cup it was like the cup or nothing uh yeah i think so they we had you know a lot of young talented players and then we brought in some some old old uh not old, but, you know, Madden and Asif, he was – this would have been his fourth year or whatever in the finals or third year in the finals. Um, you know, bring Hosa in with his experience and how good he was of a two-week player. Um, we had a great team. Like, if I had to look back to all three cups, that team would probably beat us in 2010. But, you know, they weren't the fastest team, but they were the most physical team. So, in 2010, you needed to be physical to, to win and – you know, they had an unbelievable team. Some of the, the top-level guys on your team, like you mentioned, Hosa, and obviously like Kane and Taze, could you see them just kind of, like, take it up a whole nother level when it, when the playoffs started and just kind of put, taking it upon themselves to just will their team into the, you know, into next round and next round, just kind of just, just taking it personally? Um, I think everybody was on board. There was nobody that was, you know, just out there for the ride. I think everybody tribute to be the team like you could go down the lineup of, with Sharp and Bufflin and Versteeg had a big part in the playoffs um, with Hosa, Taves, uh, Lad, like Troy Brower. We had a bunch of good, good players and obviously our decor was unbelievable and then we had Miami in the net so um, 
you know, you look at the the run that went through, it wasn't just two or three guys. We had everybody clicking at the right times. Um, I know there was a couple of injuries in and out, but that's where I kind of slipped in to get a couple games to uh, to get a sniff in NHL playoffs. But um, it was just a unbelievable year. Obviously, the Blackhawks organization was waiting for almost 100 years. That wasn't 100 years, like uh, 49 years without a cup. So it was nice to to get that started and uh, get that taste into everyone's mouth and that kind of kept that recipe going for, you know, the upcoming years. So that was – being that was your, your first playoff run, like did you notice like, like a serious change in how the game was played, how you guys prepared for the game, the intensity, the speed, the physicality? Like when you've seen that for the first time, was it, was it pretty apparent how different it was from the regular season? Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a game's level. There's the – you know, the men, um, you know, it, it's just something about a playoff game and the playoff atmosphere, the – you know, the circumstances and every game and every shift, uh, momentum is a big part of any game in playoffs. You need to capitalize it and, and hold on to it because momentum can go a lot of ways and you want to keep it on your way. And I think um, it was just a, a cool, cool moment where everything clicked, everything worked. Um, you know, there was a couple bumps in the road, but the – intensity the passion the physicality the everything ramps up in the playoffs i know i don't know if john's been in many playoff games but um it's uh it's something special i i enjoyed watching it in 2010 but then also being uh being a part of it in, in my career yeah I, I played with you in the playoffs the next year brian so Anyways, we, we um, lost in the first in, round, didn't we? Yeah, to Vancouver. Q didn't play me in game seven. That's the reason. I won three games. Well, in I didn't get played in game seven, too. I had to get surgery. All right, Brian. So before the Nashville series, were you solid in the lineup or were you kind of bouncing in and out? What, what was your status in the lineup for the Hawks? I was a bouncer. Bouncer? Yeah. yeah I, uh, well, I got called up a bunch of times. Every time someone got hurt, I was the main guy to get called up um through that year um obviously if it was a defenseman i was not playing defense but uh you know like from previous years there's the black aces um i wasn't a black ace i was around the team i was practicing i was you know doing everything doing warm-ups and and stuff like that um but then i played four playoff games in, in 2010 so yeah let's talk about that so the first series is versus nashville and the Hawks come out, they lose the first one. They, yep. they win the second one, then they lose, lose the third. They're down two to one. What gets you into that lineup in that first series? Uh, just a little mix-up. Um, I think I took out uh, Eager. Yeah. Eager. Um, just to switch it up. That's really about it. There was, you know, it was a fourth line. Like, fourth line gets – six, seven, eight minutes in playoff games anyways. And um, I don't know. And they decided to give the old uh, Bickelish a, a swing and um, it worked. And they got to, we got to the Vancouver series. Um, that would have been the conference finals, I think. Well, let's hold on, Bix. You're, you're motoring ahead here. Jesus. You, you say you got five, six minutes 
you're underselling your performance. You stepped into the lineup in game four. You're down two to one. It's a must-win game. If you guys don't win that game, you can call it quits. You're not coming back from 3-1. You play almost 13 minutes. You get one assist, and you're plus two. That doesn't sound like fourth-line stats for a guy who's just going to fill a spot. What's that like going in for your first playoff game? Take me through what the locker room looks like, what the boys are talking about. Does everyone know that this is a must-win game? Um, What's the atmosphere like? Yeah, it was a must win, no doubt. You don't want to go down 3-1 in any series because that's a a big hole you need to dig out. Um, It was a must win. I know, uh, you know, the atmosphere in Nashville was, you know, something else in playoffs. And um, going there, obviously, my first playoff game, I was, you know, nervous and excited at the same time. Um, Whatever I can remember, but um, I remember one goal. Um, someone dumped it in, and it hit Tave. No, hit Kane's shin pad, and it went in the net. That was a big bonus goal for us. Yeah, like, I, think, I think Seabrooks just grabbed it off a of face off and just decided to dump it in. It hit hit uh, Kane's shin pad and deflected into the net. It was pretty funny in that, but uh, that's all I really remember from the game. No, how does your assist happen? You remember your assist? Stop. Um, I kind of yeah, it was a broken play. So um, Tave scored. I know that. I was playing with Taze on that oh, so shift. Taze was on the fourth line. That's funny. Well, you know, I hopped in here and there. Oh, you know? okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I didn't want first line wouldn't get 13 minutes. Jeez. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was a broken play. I, I touched it. He picked it up, and then um, I think he buried it five holes. I think basically half his goals he scored are five holes. So. so going into that game, you're a young kid. First playoff game, must win with the Hawks, who have aspirations to win the Cup. What do you want to do on your first shift? What's going through your mind sitting on the bench when you jump over the boards? Who were your line mates that day, if you if you remember? Burrish and Brower, maybe? No, I have no idea. I don't remember. Okay. Well, what do you what do you want to do first shift, then? What's what's your objective? My, my objective is to move my feet and hit somebody. Hit somebody like good, like. And did you somebody. did you do that? Did you go out there I, and just buried somebody? Um, uh, yeah, probably had a couple hits, but not like a bury. You know, like nothing. I don't think crazy. I I wanted to keep my get my feet moving, get, get my legs into, and by me doing that is the hit, and um, that really gets me into the game, um, especially in playoffs, and the boys love it, and when you go crush somebody and. You, potentially knock somebody out of the game or or out of a couple shifts and that was part of my game the boys loved it everyone loved it and um, i remember doing it and hearing the boys uh crush that guy (laughs) did did the coaches tell you guys to key on any defense when they had shea weber they had Suter, they had klein hamhuis they had a pretty solid back end was there any like i don't know just well i the word is escaping me. Any tips, any just encouragement saying, listen, we need to key on these guys. What did they tell you before the game? Especially it you. Was, it, it wasn't anything to key on. Obviously, you need to go – you don't go after. You just finish. You just got to wear them down, grind them down, slow them down. If it's a second or two seconds, it's going to, you know, slow them down. It's going to wear them down in different ways. Those guys eat a lot of big minutes. And um, I know – 
I can't imagine a defenseman if, if someone's going to come dump the puck and go hit me every shift. That was something I didn't want to do. That's why I didn't play defense. I wanted to go give the hits. <laughs> so um, that was uh, our objective is uh, to be big physical and, and grind down, you know, their top four was, you know, pretty outstanding. Pretty, pretty legit top four. So you tie it up. You're going back to Chicago, game five. Arguably another must win. You don't want to go back to Nashville down 3-2. You have the momentum, and what a crazy game. What, do, what are you thinking going into game five? You have this confidence that you built from game four. Are you just expecting to kind of build off of that? Are you still buried on the fourth line, like you said? Or what, what's, what's the atmosphere like going back to Chicago, the madhouse on Madison? Are the, like, what's going on? Um, confidence, the momentum. Uh, like I said before, you want to have momentum in series and games and uh, to win that one, to to tie the series up, to keep us with the home ice um, was huge because, you know, being down 3-1 or being 2-2 going back home now, potentially making it 3-2 back home because our, our home record was, you know, pretty, pretty good um, during that run, um, which is any run you need to have a good home record. The last change, your atmosphere – home cooking, your bed, everything like that, that's uh, all comes into factor. And um, home ice is a big part of being a, a successful playoff team. You're losing four to three in this game, in the third period. There's, there's a minute left in the game, and you guys are shorthanded. Yeah. Hosa takes a penalty at 18.57. Five minutes, a major. Yeah. The game's over. The game's over. We pulled the goalie and um, tied it up. Kaner steps on the ice. Net empty. Extra attacker. Shot by Tatrio. Oh, you must have been seat belted to the bench at that point because you're killing penalties. I was. I was. I was at least at least eight minutes the last of that game. I was. I was a grocery stick in the middle of the bench for sure. What's going on on the bench when Kane buries it to tie it up shorthanded? Is it just like what happens? Uh, it was. It was unbelievable. Like it was. We're shorthanded. We pulled the goal to make it even strength, and then it was. It was a broken play, and it, Kane was in the right spot, at the right time to to bang it home, and. Uh, Obviously, he was celebrated the way he does um, <laughs> to tie it up. And then um, we still had a kill and whatever minutes left of Host's penalty. So then it got carried over to um, OT. Host hops out of the, or the penalty box. So we had killed another whatever four minutes or whatever. Fresh ice, OT, killed it off. Haas comes out. Terrible, you know, broken down play. Puck comes around to Sopel. He bangs it with his 300-pound stick that he used on net. And Hosa came out of the box, and he was, it was in the offensive zone and um, buried an empty, empty netter. And, you know, he did a pretty cool uh, celebration with uh, sliding on his knees, looking up, and um, basically saying thank God because he thought he was going to ruin that series and maybe – you know, obviously that game, but then to get the winning and a winning goal was pretty cool. Well, yeah, going from pretty much ruining the series, like you said, getting a five-minute boarding major to winning it in overtime, like I can't think of a more 
polarizing turn of events like okay we're gonna lose this sucks and all of a sudden oh my gosh we won in overtime like incredible <laughs> so you head off to nashville what tell me about the plane ride because you jump on the plane right after the game right you don't you don't go home you jump, uh, it you depends got, on the schedule I, I can't recall what, what we had you played two nights or not the next day but the day after so maybe you flew out the next day i can't imagine the boys couldn't have been in any better of a mood after winning an overtime heading back to nashville you're still on the lineup. You're 2-0 in the playoffs. Life is good. You're getting yeah. thir 13 minutes ice time. Yeah. You're going into Nashville. You guys, you want to close it out. What does Taser say before the game? What's the inspirational speech that he's given to you guys? Give it to me, Brian. Let me hear it. <laughs> the inspiration. This is, yes. this is 10 years ago. There's not much brain cells I can really Come on. remember. But Give it to um, me. Obviously, it was pretty pretty easy what, what we needed to do. We just needed to keep playing the way we were doing. Obviously, we're getting ways to find wins, um, which are you know crucial in playoff games. If, if you don't win, you're not moving on. Um, but just to play every shift like it's last, it's an intense time of year, obviously, and circumstances and just everything. It's... Uh, a cool, a cool experience, and obviously that that uh, that series was um, super cool because it was my first time. But then being down and then getting the opportunity to play and then closing it off, um, I think we won and we didn't play game seven. We won game six. So yes, you won game six. All the goals were scored in the first period. It was crazy. There was Keith and Weber and Kane and Sharp scored. Then Arnett got two. Then Taves scored with like 30 seconds left in the period to make it 4-3 in the first period. It was it was an insane first period. Yeah. Like, I can't <laughs> like, believe it. It's like you're, you're telling me like you're watching it right now. Well, it's <laughs> crazy just looking at the box score. All of the goals scored. It's like at the seven-minute mark, eight-minute mark, nine-minute mark, 12, 15, 19, 19. Like, that doesn't happen in playoffs. What's no, going I think on? Uh, the the gates were open. It was a it was a ping pong match. I'm pretty sure. And uh, after the first, we kind of got uh, PP whacked and saying, "What are we playing at here? Well, this is not what we need to do. We need to obviously concentrate on defense." And then uh, I think we just shut them down after that. Did we win four three? I can't recall. Yeah, Madden no five three. Johnny Madden had an empty netter right yeah. near the end of the game. So when you look back at that series, what's your most memorable on ice moment? My most memorable on ice moment. Jeez, I don't know. Probably my first shift, you know. Yeah. Do I remember it? Not really. <laughs> yeah. Nothing from the locker room, anything being around the, the guys. The, the, it's just to be with the guys after the series, you know, you kinda you don't really do a scrum, you do, you know, out of boys like we're going to the next round. Um be part of that and I was part of the team the whole time but just to say that I you know helped them in, in a way to you know get over that series so moving on to the next series you guys get Vancouver this is the start of like a massive rivalry versus these guys were you pretty what was your position in the lineup were you pretty confident going into Vancouver like oh you know what I'm in the lineup now I, I made my mark I went three and zero. You know, I, I'm in the lineup. Was that your thinking going into Vancouver? Uh, no, I know he wasn't going to switch the lineup in game one, um, unless there was some kind of injury that we couldn't do anything. But um, I was confident. You know, we're down two one. You, you win a series, you're going to be playing. So um, I played the first game. 
I think we lost uh, three or four one or three one. Yeah, four to one. And then, yep, that was a good night, Arena. I did not get another game after that. <laughs> what's that? What's going through your head? You were obviously impactful during the Nashville series, and then you just get take it out after the first game did you have any conversations with q or anybody or it was just like stay sharp we'll need stay you sharp. down the road you know no like i was i was just a, a 13th forward you know it was uh there's a couple other guys who were sitting with me that wasn't just me um, yeah obviously but it's, it's just such a strange things to go from having a big impact it just i would then, i would have been scratching my head a little bit well i was i was i was happy to be there you know i was uh a guy that didn't play many, I played 19 games or whatever that regular season, but there was guys that were there all year, um, played over 60, 70 games. And then, you know, they didn't make a game in playoffs. So I was pretty, pretty thankful to, you know, jump in when I did, but then, you know, getting pushed out in the Vancouver series and then everything just kind of rolled from there. Do you remember, was was there any player on the Predators that you kind of felt, found yourself battling against or getting a little rivalry, always going into, into the corner with one guy that you're just constantly battling with throughout the game? Ooh, I don't know. Um, I don't think there was anybody. It was uh, I'm just trying to think who was on the team. Jesus, this is a decade ago. Uh, on defense, they had Klein, Franson, Weber, Hughes, Suter. I'm they just trying to think of forwards. They didn't have Hartnot. Arnott, Erat. Um, I just had it up. Gosh, where was it? You have enough laptops you could figure All it right. out. So their forward lineups were Arnott, Boyd, J.P. Dumont. You would have been played against like Nick Spalling and Tutu was there. Colin Tutu. Wilson. Yeah. Those guys, Sullivan, yeah, Tutu. Smith, Smithson. Oh, that, I loved when Tutu was a nice because everybody in the – Billing had this whistle that blow and then they go choo, choo, and then it's like you know you get run over by two two that was the, another guy you had to keep your head on a, on a swivel because that guy just train racks guys did you go after him a little bit i didn't battle did you... with him i just try to stay stay out of his way and let him try to hurt himself he was a liability he was yeah he, just... was, he was he was he was going through the boards with you in the middle of it Joel Ward was on that team. He had a good Joel team. Joel Ward, yeah. What about just the whole cup run? How was that? Like, was it was it cool being around those guys in Chicago because this was their first cup? Is there any cool stories? Like, before you won the cup, you had to, like, throw your gear on and go lift up the cup. Like, I don't know. I just think it's so cool. I wish I would have won a cup, and you got three. So, <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of cool moments during that cup series. Uh you know, we had a lot of, uh, you know, downtime in the hotel room. That was the first time we brought out the, the game Mario Kart where oh, everybody yeah. got intense in the Mario Kart game. Um, the Vancouver series, um, it was, uh, you know, it built a rivalry and it was a, a good good series, I remember. Um, then the next series, San Jose, we swept them. So it was uh, it was a unbelievable you you know you're sweeping going into the finals and then you get to the philly um and then obviously with the caner goal um we're sitting in the locker room you know dressed in our gear and then it's like then i think hardenal tied it up so then i got pushed to ot and then um 
so we were like hiding in a back room with all our gear on because he tied it up to late and then ot came they came back in the locker room and then we're still in our gear but we're in a different room and then kane scored then we're like well did do we need to go out there like did it count or do we go out there right now that was a pretty funny dilemma we'll be right back with more one goal on dropping the gloves This series is brought to you by Manscaped, the best grooming tool out there. They offer precision engineered tools for you. They have obsessed over their technology, their developments to provide you with the absolute best tools for your grooming. Now you want to talk about grooming. I have a large body to groom. And when I say large, I mean from top to bottom. And this tool, I got it a few weeks back. It is a game changer. I used to have the old school that just you could hear from three towns over. It was so loud. This one is super quiet. It trims my ears, the insides, the outsides, the back. I have hair all over my ears. It gets my neck nice and clean, my shoulders, my chest. Like it is a game changer when it comes to cleaning yourself up. I, I came out of the room the other day after cleaning myself up. My wife said, John, whoa, what's different? I'm like, hey, what, am, what can I say? Manscaped, they hooked me up. Not only did I look good, but Manscaped, in order for me to look good, they spent the last 18 months developing the perfect tool and they named it the Lawnmower 3.0. Let me tell you about this little tool. It has a ceramic blade to reduce cuts, which is huge. I, I, I don't know about you, but every time I'm done grooming, I have little nicks and cuts all over my body. So just that in itself, you had me, you had me at hello. But it, in addition to that, they have a battery that lasts up to 90 minutes. When I'm on the road doing an event or when I played, I would be in the middle of shaving my beard and my buzzer would crap out. And I'd be like, what do I do? I don't have anything else. I don't have a charger. Like, how, how do I get out of this situation? If I would have had a tool that lasts 90 minutes, I would have never had that issue. In addition to that, it's water resistant. You could bring it in the shower, get your hair nice and soft and malleable. It just cuts it right off. They have an LED light so you can see what you're doing. The motor is 7,000 RPMs. That's insane. That's like a motorbike. It has a cool little charging stand. You throw it on the countertop. It looks like a piece of art. Everyone's like, what is that thing? It's like, oh, it's my grooming tool. No big deal all that and then guess what you don't even have to pay full price for this thing if you go to manscape.com today you will not only get this great lawnmower 3.0 or whatever else you order they have so much stuff on their website you get 20 percent off and free shipping isn't that crazy now you only get this if you use promo code john scott 20. so go to manscapes.com enter promo code john scott 20 and you get 20 percent off you get free shipping and as a little bonus as a little carrot to dangle in front of you animals because I know you like more and more and more the first 25 people who use promo code John Scott I will personally send you an autographed picture maybe a hat or a shirt something cool to kind of spice up this deal a little bit more if it are if it already wasn't hot enough I'm gonna add a little cayenne pepper in for you but in order to get that deal you have to enter promo code John Scott 20 and send me the receipt, either DM me or email me or use my website. Just get it to me somehow with proof. And the first 25 people that do that, I will personally send you something myself. I will write you a little thank you card because this is how much I believe in this product. It's so cool. So let me wrap this up. You go to manscaped.com. You order something. You use promo code John Scott 20. You get 20% off your whole order. You get free shipping. When you're done with that, you shoot me the receipt that says you use my promo code. I will personally send you something myself me john scott you just give me your address give me the receipt and i'll send it wherever you are in the whole world that's a guarantee the first 25 people so do it quick because i guarantee you after this episode there will be hundreds of people trying to get this little gifty poo and this lawnmower 3.0 so anyways 
go to manscaped.com and use promo code John Scott 20 to get yourself a sweet little gift. Cheers, everybody. All right, now let's move to our chat with Coach Q, Joel Quinville, the architect behind this whole franchise we got here. The, the three cup wins from relative obscurity from the Hawks. He, he developed these guys. And here's the thing. It's one thing to have a lot of talent. We see that throughout the league. Teams have crazy amount of talent. It's another thing to use that talent, to put it in the right place, and to put it in the right position in order to succeed. And Coach Q is one of, if not the best coach at getting the most out of his players and putting them in the right position. So he was with them the year before when they lost to Detroit. And it's interesting to hear him talk about the changes that he made, the little tweaks that he made to the lineup to kind of help this team succeed. So Coach tells us a little bit how he started coaching, A, how his career started, and he breaks down the Predators series. So let's get to that Q interview. I just kind of want to touch on how you became a coach, why you came, why you got into coaching. You had a good hockey career and then what got you into coaching? Well, back in the day, uh, later on in my coaching career, I was, or playing career, I was, uh, I was doing some stock brokerage business in the off season, my last few years, thinking that uh, my career's coming uh, to a, a close pretty soon. And uh, that last summer where I was uh, looking like I was going to go into that business, uh, I went to Roger Nielsen's coaching clinic in Windsor and uh, Cliff uh, Fletcher offered me a player assistant coach job in Newfoundland with Mark Crawford, which was the first time uh, the franchise started. And uh, so I, I, I gave it a go as a player assistant coach and we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of success and uh, you know, that was uh, and at the end of that year, we had a great run. We had a great season. Uh, and the last game I ever I played was in the American League. And it was game seven of the American League Championship. We lost at home. We lost all four games in Newfoundland, which was really tough. It was a tough way to end it. But uh, certainly got a lot of experience working with Crow in the coaching. And, uh, you know, we had a good relationship. We had some good teams to work with in the following year as well. And, uh, and then we you know, got into the business and, you know, it was fun. It's basically, I always look at it like, uh, you're, you know, playing and staying in hockey. It's not like you got a job and it's like, it's fun. You get to do what you always done. And, uh, and uh, being around the, the game has always been fun. And uh, it's, it's gone to a different level. But I always found like playing is more fun than coaching, but coaching's the next best, uh, best thing. Did you ever expect to be one of the winningest coaches of all time? It's so bizarre that you're in that category. Well, it's bizarre that I'm even a coach when I think back to all the guys I played with. They, they laugh and they're sitting here. I can't believe I'm a coach and, uh, and uh, been in the game for a while now. But we've had some fun. We've had uh, a lot of success. I've always been fortunate to be with good teams, um, some great players, some great leaders, uh, you know, some, in some great spots and worked with some great coaches, too, along the way. And had some great coaches from playing days, too, that uh, have uh, certainly appreciated uh, their commitment or their, uh, their teaching along the way. I know I was looking at your stats. You've been a head coach for 20 years and you've only missed the playoffs twice. Like that's crazy. That's, well, that's a heck of a record. Well, it's a, uh, we know nowadays it's, it's a, an accomplishment making the playoffs. It's a hard thing to do. There's yeah. parity in the game and everybody's uh, every single year, you know, everybody's fighting basically from game one to game 82. This year's a whole different story, but uh you know, I think back of, uh, 
you know, having really strong teams, really good teams going deep in the playoffs and you know, a challenge of the following year, getting the group ready to, uh, you know, compete for 82 games before you get to play a playoff game. Those can be uh, interesting seasons, uh, but I, I think uh, we've always had uh, real balance and we try to keep it a four-line team game. We like to keep everybody involved and, uh, um, and we know that you're going to have some good stretches, some tough stretches, but uh, you know, the tough ones. And, uh, well, I just think that uh, – Keeping the guys, uh, basically, it's it's a lot about what they do and their commitment to uh, the team, and uh, you know, and following, uh, you know, you get rewarded by how you compete and how you play, and, and uh, that's kind of how we roll. And uh, but uh, we've certainly been in some some really good places, and uh, and and then the Chicago run was uh, was real special. It's funny, I do all these events now where I go and I I have to answer questions from people, and they're always like, "Who was your best coach?" And it's a tough question. I started off with Jacques Lemaire. He was a great, great coach, good with X's and O's. And then I always say you. And I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. I always say you because I just – I tell him that he gets it. Like, he rewards guys for producing and for playing the right way. I'll never forget we were in St. Louis, and I was playing pretty well. I was buzzing around. I was, you know, getting in on the forecheck. And you bumped me up to the first line because Kaner wasn't playing well. And I got some shifts with uh, Johnny and Hosa. And I'll, I'll never forget it. Then you threw me on the power play, and I was like, "Like that's unbelievable to get like a fourth line schmuck like me." Do you do that on purpose, like kind of reward guys for working hard, or is that just kind of come natural to you? Well, there's some things that uh, you know. There's always a, a purpose too. It's maybe I was putting you up there to keep the flies off of those guys as well. But uh, no, I, I thought when I looked at you, you're very useful with with us in Chicago when you're on the back end. I think you did what you had to do, and then uh, up front. You know, I think one thing you, you did uh, create a lot of room for yourself and your line mates, and uh, but you did bring a different element to our team game. Uh, you know, I think as far as the league went, uh, nobody was, uh, I don't want to say the word more feared, but I don't think anybody wanted anything to do with you. And I think that was a, uh, you know, but I don't think you're, you went out there looking for it. I think you, uh, you, you approached the game uh, like, hey, you want to be contributed to our team game. Um, I think you recognize your role and your job description. You did it very well. Um, but I think whether it's yourself or uh, other players, I find that, uh, you know, I think that you look back and you, know, you try to be a four-line team if you're just going to go back to the same guys all the time and, uh, and, and rely on them. I think certain times guys are having good games. Um, and, you know, if you don't give them an opportunity when they're having a good game to get a little bit more quality or quantity in a game, you know, I think that they lose a little bit of their opportunity thinking I'm stuck in this spot and I won't get to, to enhance my positioning in the team. And it's like, uh, you know, you got your backup goalie that you're looking at and you're sitting there, geez, I, you know, hopefully I get a start. And you know, all of a sudden there's a chance in a game that, uh, yeah, he plays a great game, steals the game. You know, it might be whether you come back with them the next game or not. I mean, certainly uh, you, you, you try to reward them or get them a little more of an opportunity uh, but that's not just goalies. It's like yourself or anybody else that uh, goes through that because they, your top guys, they're not going to be great every night. And I, and I think that uh, keeping it a little bit more, there's incentive uh, to, to perform and produce um, and, and then backing it up, not just saying it. I know you've got to reward your top guys. They deserve them. They're going to get the most ice time, but uh, don't take it as a given. Yeah, you mentioned deep playoff runs in your coaching career. Let's kind of fast forward to your – I think it was your second season with the Hawks. You guys lost to Detroit in the Western Conference Finals. Did you kind of take anything away from that? Did, did the guys just sense that they lost to a better team in Detroit who was like more 
they were just more experienced. Was there, wow. was there anything in the room going on after that loss? Uh, I thought it was a, uh, it was a great learning situation for us. I think that uh, maybe we surprised ourselves uh, that we were able to get to the conference finals that uh, our first real run at it. Uh, I thought we learned a lot from it. I felt, I felt their group was a, uh, was, you know, the, a lot of guys were all, we're all young. We, yeah. uh, we had a really good team in a lot of ways. We're deep, we're balanced, we're highly skilled. Uh, um, you know, you, you can look at uh, our lines, you get Bowley on your third or fourth line, however you want to look at it, whether it would be a checking line or whatever, you know, he was a very effective player, could score, could produce. And I think that's basically, it was the bottom part of our lineup, but it wasn't that bad. And I think that some nights you could measure uh, one through four and say, geez, you're, you don't, you, there was no drop off in, in the lines. And, and I think that uh, when you played against Detroit, you got to see uh, how good uh, the Zetterbergs and the Datsuks and the Lidstroms were. And, and then you got uh, then you got a chance to uh, you know knowing that hey what a good education of, of knowing that uh, what it's going to take to try to win a championship and uh, to win one round a lot of things got to go right and all of a sudden we're playing for them uh, you know we lose game five we had a great chance to win game five in their building um, and uh, but I think that we showed a lot in that series against them it might have looked like they beat us in five games but I, I thought we. Uh, we gave him something to think about. I think we gave ourselves some confidence uh, knowing that, uh, hey, we got some chances uh, down the road here to, uh, to find a way to win. Yeah, three of the five games went to overtime. So that was, man, that was a good series. Going into the next year, could you sense something different? Did you change your strategy as a coach coming into the camp? Because like, I know when I was there, you, you came into camp, you're like, listen, if we don't win the cup, this is a failure. Was that the message or what was your I don't know if, if I said it like that, but certainly, you know, I think our objective is I think every team coming into training camp, our, our goal is to make the playoffs and ultimately win a cup. And I, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know if I said it would be a failure, but uh, we, we know how uh, tough it is, how competitive it is and how things got to go so well for you in the playoffs. You need a lot of things go well. You need goaltending, you need your help. Um, you need your best players to be great. Uh, you need a lot of things, and, uh, and sometimes the matchups are going to be important along the way to get through it. So it's a uh, every year can be different, uh, but the challenges uh, they I seen with the parity in the league now it's it's as hard as it ever is to get through four rounds. This should be interesting five, um, but then yeah. you're sitting there. Uh, uh, but I, I think that uh, you know every year. You know, you got to approach when you start the season that uh, it's a long way to get back to the playoffs. Don't just think that, uh, hey, you're going to be playing, you know, you're going to postpone it and you're going to start competing later on as the year goes on. You got to start right from the beginning of the season. And that's a commitment from the guys. But uh, knowing that, hey, we, we had something accomplished that we uh, implanted the prior year. Um, and that was our motivation. And I think that as a team, uh, you know, our leadership, uh, you know, Johnny, you're going to never find a better captain for at a young age that boy, did they ever get it right when they named him captain? Um, you know, he's a real competitive guy. Sometimes you could say he's a little too serious, but, uh, you know, I think he knows when it's time to play, it's, uh, in the playoffs, he, he's ready to play more than anybody I've ever seen. He's almost like a second coach out there. Yeah. He was mature beyond his years. It was crazy. So as a coach, is it, is it a benefit to have the same crew of guys year to year to year to kind of mold them and work with them and grow with them? Because from 09 to 10, it was the same team. There was one big addition. You got rid of Havlat and got Hosa, but it was the same team. How, does that help you? Well, I think that uh, 
Well, when you look back at it, and I mean, there's teams, you look at the Islanders teams, there wasn't many changes at all with yeah. those teams over those Cups runs. But uh, when we look at our team, we had to change uh, immediately after we won in 2010. Uh, you know, so like a lot of young guys were going to that next phase of their career where they're going to get paid. And, uh, you know, we had to lose some really good players, a good guys to coach, a great team guys. Um, so that kind of was a change coming on. But at that time, uh, I mean, adding hosts to our team, I, I thought Habby had his best year with us uh, in his career the prior year. Getting hosts uh, was a uh, – we knew what we were getting in, 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 a, in a great player playing the right way. Uh, the message as far as how, how the coaches want our team to play. Uh, he epitomizes exactly uh, how we wanted to play. And uh, you talk about Taser doing what he had to do as a coach, but the host played the game technically as well as you want him to play. And uh, he had some high-end ability uh, offensively, uh, defensively strong in the puck and, and played uh, in all situations. So he was very useful for us and him having an appetite to try to win a cup after having three years uh, being short in the finals. Um, I, I thought he brought that in, a little bit of an intangible to our team. And uh, that was one addition that certainly uh, – Helped us in a lot of ways. Yeah. So you, you I don't want to see you breeze through the playoff or the regular season. You had a good regular season. And we'll get into the first series, Nashville Predators. They, you know, up and coming team didn't make the playoffs years year before. Some good players, good on the back end with Weber and Suter and those guys. What's your strategy going into that Nashville series? How do you how do you game plan versus them? Or do you even game plan? You just kind of say play your own game. No, we, we, we kind of got an idea what we want to do. We always find that uh, we prepare for our opponent, uh, you know, special team meetings. We go through the players will do an individual piece on each player and the other team that we started to have fun with uh, as that progressed. Um, but, you know, we, we got an idea what we're trying to do and what they, you know, what to look forward to in their game. But I always think, I always say that, uh, hey, we can pre prepare as much as we want about what's Nashville going to do. But that usually goes out the window after uh, the first period of the first game. And then we're, we're basically playing out how we're playing as we're going along in that series and in in basically the now factor. But, I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, our, our goal as a team, I mean, we, we knew Trotsky's teams uh, – Check well, they frustrate you, they don't give you nothing. Um, you might have to be a little bit more patient, uh, not thinking you're going to outscore them. And uh, and our team liked to go and like to create a lot of offense, but I think that we had to pay a, play a, a little bit more patient game. And uh, when I think back going through that series, I always find there's a defining moment and a defining play or situation in each round of the playoffs. And... Uh, and that game five in our building was uh, with Kaner scoring the shorthanded goal with hosts in the box with a major with a blender a minute or two to go. And then we had to uh, score a shorthanded goal. And then you had to still kill hosts goal in overtime or a penalty in overtime. And he comes up and scores. And then, uh, but the, when Kaner scored that shorthanded goal might've been the loudest I have ever heard the United center that night. That was, uh, to me, that was a turning point. Um, obviously, it was, it was such a turning point in that series, but it was definitely uh, maybe a, a turning point of that playoff run for us. Yeah, so you were down 2-1 to one versus Nashville. Was there any panic going into game four in Chicago? I know, well, you put my best bud in there, Brian Bickle. That was a smart coaching move. Was there any, like, panic in the room before the game? What do you say to the guys, kind of keep them calm? 
Well, I think that, you know, I, I wasn't one of the guys that go in there and, and give these real motivational speeches. Uh, you know, I think we try to prepare them the right way. I, I think the one thing is our group, uh, the intangibles of uh, keeping an even keel was always in place. And I always felt our group was, uh, you know, our top guys always responded the right way. I thought our young guys weren't influenced one, one way at all. And it was almost like incentivizing uh, a lot of the, the group that were behind. And, uh, hey, we got a lot to prove here. And we got a heck of an accomplishment. And, and Nashville had a good hockey team, too. So it wasn't, uh, this is not going to be an easy thing. And I think we always felt that there was balance and uh, we're going to need everybody. But, uh, you know, as far as the, those motivational talks going into games, I thought, the, you know, the rooms, the players, the players do a lot of the talking when we're not there about as far as, hey, come on, let's go. But I always thought Vic added a nice ingredient to our team. He provided us some in the playoffs. I think he really added a, a nice piece uh, and whether uh, Johnny's line was getting a lot of coverage or they're getting on Kaner. I always felt putting Vic up there for either one of those lines or those situations. Uh, I think physically he was, uh, he made a big impact on his lines, created a little bit of space, uh, cut the flies off like you can do Johnny. And, uh, and, but he, he was really effective in a lot of the playoff rounds and he quietly went about his business, but he was, uh, he was useful in a lot of ways. And, um, but it was, you know, I think Beck was quietly under the radar as far as uh, his contribution uh, to the team. All right, so the last section of this first episode, we're going to talk to Jesse Rogers. Now, Jesse will be in mostly every episode just because he was such an integral part, not on the ice, not in the coach's room, but just off the ice. He covered this team for years, so he knows them better than anyone, not just the coaches. So he, he interviews them. He's on the road. When I was with the Hawks, he would be in the plane with us on the road. So he flies with the team. He's on the buses. He hears all of the private conversations all these players have. So he knows kind of the, the ins and outs of each each guy and each team and this and that. So for this last section, let's just touch in with Jesse <laughs> to kind of get the lowdown of each series and more specific what he thought the guys were dealing with, the, the insight, what was going on behind the scenes. So let's get to Jesse. You covered him the year before when they lost to Detroit in the conference finals they were a young super young team and going into that season did you like as a reporter as a guy who honestly is around the team more than anybody did you sense anything with those with those guys coming into training camp throughout the season that you could tell that this was a different group yeah definitely it was a really talented group I mean really talented and it already had a little bit of a swagger after what they did the year before so um you always doubt, uh, you know, about a championship early on in a season. You just never know because there's so many potholes, right? Um, but in terms of talent, you knew it was there. You just knew it was there, and it just had to blossom, and obviously it did. So there was a feeling early on that this could be something special. So they they jettisoned Havlat, and they got Hosa. Was he the missing link, or do you just think it was a little, like – seasoning that they needed those young guys kind of getting that one playoff series under their belt well let's face it I mean Marion Hosa makes any team better so I'm not sure if I thought in the moment this is it this puts them over the top what I do remember thinking is oh my god this team is serious you don't go out and get Marion Hosa for eight years if you aren't serious a guy that's already been to two finals in a row so that's my, that was my feeling. I had no idea if it put him over the top or not, but I knew this team was a serious player um, and contender, obviously. But they just it just felt like, okay, 
now they're one of the elite teams. They're, they're doing something the Yankees do. They're doing something the, the Maple Leafs would do or the Red Wings back in the day um, or the year before when they got hosted themselves. So that was my feeling like, okay, this team is serious. Yeah, I never even thought of that, that they kind of changed the mentality of the whole team when they got him. Because we were talking to Soupy um, yesterday, actually, and, he, and I mentioned to him, it's like when they signed you, you were the first big – they opened the piggy bank for him. They signed him to like $57 million. I was like, oh, that must have been a change of kind of mentality for the Hawks. And I never thought of that host thing too. That's actually pretty interesting. So going through the, through the year, they, they finished second place in the West, and they, they lined up with um, Nashville first round. Do you remember anything from that at all other than just, like you said, the shorthanded goal? Or what, what are your memories from that series? Well, I'll, I'll give you some memories going into the playoffs, which obviously means that that first series. And a lot of people in Chicago, I, w- I was on sports radio at the time, writing for ESPN as well. A lot of people were questioning whether Antti Niemi could, could do this, could go the length, could go the distance and win them a championship. And it began with that first round. They weren't exactly sure. And what happens in that opening game? Hawks lose 4-1. You and shelled, yeah. Yeah, and I can't remember exactly what happened in goal, but they lost 4-1. And there was question marks if the if the Blackhawks had enough goalie uh, goaltending for, for the long run. And, and here's game one, and it just kind of put an exclamation mark. And you know how goalies are. It, it, it's like quarterbacks. I get too much credit and too much blame a lot of the time. And that was the case with Antti Niemi. And so that's what I remember about the opening round. Can Niemi – just even survive one round and, and get these guys moving in the right direction. And he certainly looked a lot better, if I recall, after game one. They shut out Nashville in game two and, and started to roll from there. Yeah, they they shut him out in game two. Nashville, Nashville actually won game three. Yeah. And they tied it up in game four. And then the decisive game five, which is always the big one when it's the best of three, they're down four to three with, gosh, five minutes left, four minutes left, and Hosa takes a five-minute penalty. Do you, Get us through that shorthanded goal because we really went in. We talked to Kaner as well, and we went in on that a little bit. As as a reporter sitting up in the press box, what's going through your mind? Are you writing your story saying, oh, my gosh, they're going to go down three to two. We're going back to Nashville. You know, another kind of heartbreaking loss for the Hawks. What's what's going through your mind up there? Oh, it's definitely going through my mind because think about it. Marion Hosa, when does he take a five-minute penalty? So already you're like, oh, man, this doesn't bode well. Not only is it unusual for a guy like that to take a five-minute penalty, that's your best penalty killer yeah. in, the, in the box. I mean, he was an amazing penalty killer in his prime. Long arms, big body, um, used the stick so well, smart. I mean, that's the guy you want on the ice in, in, a, in a double minor, whatever the case may be. So I'm absolutely thinking you can't kill off five minutes with Hosa in the box. And then, of course, he comes out of the box – and uh, it, it goes the other way for the, for the Blackhawks. Yeah, that was a pretty – well, obviously a big, big turn, turning point. So what are you thinking what's, – what's the vibe like in the room after that win? What's the vibe like on the plane ride to Nashville? Can you tell me what's going through the guys' minds? Is it, are they, like, super excited? What's the like, – just give me, like, kind of paint a picture for me. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you, you, you have to go back to – the first series of 2010, meaning there were a lot more to come that would give this team confidence. I mean, they were confident. We are still playing game six on the road. I don't think it was the swagger 
that would 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 that they necessarily had that swagger that would come with winning one championship, two championships, three championships. They knew they were good. There's no doubt. But there were still some doubts, I think. Uh, you know, of course, not externally, you know, not, not expressing it, but just kind of knew they were there. Remember, I mentioned Anthony Emmy, you know, gives up four goals. It's a 5-4 game in game five, right? It's back and forth. So four goals in game one, four goals in game three, uh, four goals in game five. You know, it's going back and forth like that. Meanwhile, in between, the Blackhawks are shutting out the Predators. So I, I really think it, it, would be, it would be a mistake to say, oh, they knew they were going to win which yeah. maybe in the coming series or years that would be the case. I think it was a toss-up at that point. Part of it was a question in goaltending and just experience. I know they had the year before, but this wasn't a, a veteran-laden team for sure. So I, I, I would say that there was just still some uncertainty what this team was all about because that first round was all over the place. Yeah, so who, who do you think was the leader in that room? Like, Because, listen, I, I've mentioned it before. You're on the plane. You know what guys are talking about. You know what's going on. Who would you peg as the, as the one or two guys who kind of held that team together throughout that run? Well, I mean, the easy answer is, is Taves. I Johnny, mean, he, yeah. he was, yeah, he was seven, ten years older than his than the age next to his, you know, uh, on a stat page or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, and there's always a guy, and you know this, John, uh, that isn't a star player who who has some cachet to him. Adam Burrish as a fourth liner. Um, I think brought that toughness and and respect for the rest of the team. But we are not talking about a veteran-laden team here. Brian Campbell, Brian Campbell, and Marion Hosa, obvious. Those are obvious guys because they've been around a little bit. Um, but still, first year on the team for Hosa, he wasn't really a vocal guy, so he's still finding his way. I mean, Taves was certainly the guy. Another one, John Madden. John Madden was oh, a guy yeah. who had been through the wars. So those are a couple, three names. But um, I would I would say there was a there was a lot of um, uh, you know it, it didn't fall on one person's shoulder on this particular team you know we you, because Taves again was still a young captain you know there's other teams by the time Stevie Eiserman was rolling in Detroit I mean he was the guy right a uh, longtime captain now Taves years later is the guy you can rely on him at the time Taves could not do it alone so John Madden Adam Burrish is a fourth liner Marion Hosa just because of his status. Brian Campbell, because he was a veteran. Um, I, I, I can't point to one guy and say that's the guy that led them to the promised land. Well, that was Tim. That was awesome. I, I'm blown away. I'm thunderstruck. I mean, it's so cool <laughs> hearing like <laughs> I'm thunderstruck. That's very, <laughs> wow. The, you are uh, very excited. Yeah. I mean, just like the, the inside knowledge of these guys, especially like Coach Q, because I mean, like you, you watch the games on play by play and the announcers are telling you, you know, what the coach is thinking and doing, why he's making the changes that he's making. And most of the time they're probably right, but hearing it from the coach himself on, on what goes on in his head, both during a game, between games, when he's tinkering with the lineup, when he's tinkering with the strategy, it's just so cool to see. Yeah. He re they really do a lot that you don't really see. You think with these skill teams, you just kind of throw the puck out there and let them go to work. But it's interesting the stuff that he does to prep for a playoff series. Each guy gets a player. They kind of work on him. They analyze him and just do a big presentation for the team. I think that's really cool. I don't think you see that around the league where you give the players a little bit of input, a little bit of ownership in preparing for each series. Usually it's just the, the coaches get up there. They have a boring PowerPoint presentation for a couple hours. You watch some video and that's it. But when you give players that kind of ownership to kind of do some in investigation 
it's fun. And then you get guys' personalities. You kind of have fun with it. So I think that is so much more effective than just sitting there and having a notepad and just being like, okay, this guy does this, this guy does this. You have to watch out for this one-timer. That guy's good on this face-off. So I just think that's a really smart way to go about it. And he sets the tone for the whole entire playoff run. I, I love that he's doing that to kind of give the players that kind of ownership in this year. It's great. It was, it was great. And so we, we carry over this big 4-2 series win versus the Predators a really big hurdle for them to get over. If you're watching that in real time, you think they're going to lose. They're tied two to two. Nashville has the momentum and they come back and they obviously win the overtime winner by Kaner. Like there's, there's some massive, massive momentum shifting moments in this series. And to come out of this series, they got to be flying hot. Like they, they have to be feeling good. They got over that one hump, they hump, they got their feet wet. And so now we're moving on to the Vancouver Canucks, their biggest rival the team that they absolutely hate. Now they played them all throughout the season. They played them last year in the playoffs. They already have a deep seated hatred with these guys and coming into this next series, we're talking the Sedins. One of them just won the heart trophy. He put up an insane amount of numbers. They're, they're the best offense in hockey, arguably. It's just a high-powered octane offense. All they do, they run and gun. They have a sweet goaltender in Luongo. They have a good defense. And this is going to be an intense series. What do you do? What do you do with this team? You got Dave Boland. That's what you do. You throw him out there, and you hopefully he goes to work. So I'm excited. I'm really, really excited. Thank you all for listening to this first episode of this epic series that we're doing. We worked really hard on this so we hope you really enjoy it so listen stay tuned for the next episode it's gonna be awesome thank you for listening and uh yeah we'll see you next time cheers <laughs>